Hello. Welcome to the legend of Robin Hood of Sherwood. Chapter 10. A Step Too Far. Serious success brings with it its own dangers. Robin Hood and his merry men had had nothing but success. Noblemen and priests had been robbed at will. The ranks of the outlaws had swelled to more than 300. Robin was more famous than any other common man in England. But the downside of unbroken success had begun to seep into the brain of the man from Loxley. Had he been too timid? Were his methods too easy, too likely to lead to a win? It was time, thought Robin, to be a bit more daring. He mentioned his thoughts to Little John and Friar Tuck. The little big man was all too keen to try something a bit more risky, but the erstwhile brother Michael voiced his concerns. My lord, King of Sherwood, you know I would follow you into hell if you asked me to, but I must caution you. What you propose is too dangerous. It could get a man killed. You've not lost a single warrior these last two years in the forest. The men trust you with their lives. Don't risk all of that for the sake of your own ego. But Robin was deaf to his entreaties. With just a snippet of doubt in his mind, he gathered the men together. He told them of his bold plan and asked for volunteers. Of course, every soul among them thrust his arm into the air and begged to be involved. This only served to reinforce Robin's determination. Friar Tuck was simply annoying. He had no business telling him, the great Robin Hood, what was right and safe and what was not. He surveyed the ranks of his men. From them, he chose a relatively new recruit called Harry Roundfellow and Dickon Barleycorn, who had joined the band recently once Sir Guy had realised he was feeding Robin information. Robin also picked his most trusted lieutenants, Little John and Will Scarlet, along with Much the Miller's son and six other men. The men's spirits were high as they left Robber's Glade. By mid-afternoon they'd reached Stone Valley. Not far away was Castle Gisborne, the home of Robin's mortal enemy. It was about noon. As Robin and his men crouched in a nearby cave, the leader gave his instructions. In one hour from now, the mule train which carries the sheriff's cash to pay Sir Guy's and Sir Isambart's retainers will leave here. It will be weighed down with gold. We are going to steal it. Now, here is the plan. The men listened intently. Harry Roundfellow listened more intently than anyone. When Robin had finished, he sent Harry and Little John to hide in another cave a few metres away. Will Scarlet and a couple of others were dispatched to a third cave, and Robin and the rest of the men stayed put. Less than an hour later, at the very moment Robin had predicted, the sound of neighing mules reached the ears of the waiting outlaws. Robin raised an arrow into the air, which was the signal to be ready to fire. Deep in the second cave, Little John made to prod Harry Roundfellow to be ready. He nudged back his elbow, but felt nothing of the stout form he had expected to encounter. This was a bit odd. The cave was not enormous, unlike the stomach of the accurately named Roundfellow. Little John would have been very unlikely to miss with his nudge. He lit a torch and turned round. Harry wasn't there. A slight feeling of trepidation crept through the ample form of Little John. And then the signal was given. Little John had no more time for misgivings. A hail of arrows erupted from all three caves. The men with Robin picked off the first four men-at-arms guarding the gold. The mules panicked and tried to flee. The chests carrying the treasure toppled to the ground and the booty was spilled for all to see. Robin grinned. Again, this was easy. He gave the order and the merry men charged en masse to where the chest of gold lay in pieces. Greedily and without fear, they gathered their gains. But no. Just when their guard was at its lowest, a voice rang out. 
a very familiar voice. Robin of Loxley, surrender. My archers are all around. We have you covered on every side. Guy of Gisborne rode into view, a huge smile on his face. And this time the smile could be seen. There was no visor. Clearly the Norman felt comfortable. Robin tried to brazen it. Come and get us, Guy of Gisborne, he yelled. He drew his sword and looked around. Who will be the first to feel the steel of Robin Hood? In an instant he drew his bow and loosed an arrow. It hit Sir Guy on the breastplate, but the distance was too great and the projectile had insufficient power to do any damage. Still, the act appeared to spur on the outlaws and a new courage entered their hearts. They ran to the caves, taking as much of the gold as they could with them. Little John looked over at the force of men Sir Guy had ready to fight. He spotted a short fat fellow skulking amongst the throng and recognised him instantly. He shouted out, Coward! Coward scum! Yes, I mean you, Harry Roundfellow! Don't you even have the spirit to raise your sword and fight? Come out and face me. My sword is itching to slice off your treacherous head. This galvanised the men of Sherwood even more. They continued to fire arrows and took out a large number of Sir Guy's men. Guy, though, knew exactly how many followers Robin had with him that day. Harry's dastardly wrongdoings had given him the advantage. Not only that, he was completely unconcerned about his own troop. He didn't care how many of them had to die as long as he won. Soon, he thought, the outlaws would run out of arrows and then they would be sitting ducks. He would have them all. Will Scarlet surveyed the scene and assessed the situation. Soon, he thought, they would run out of arrows and then they would be sitting ducks. Sir Guy would have them all. He whispered to Dickon, I have a very rash plan, but it's the only plan which will allow most of us to escape. We must run to the rocky end of the valley and fire our arrows as if there were a dozen of us. That will draw the fire of Guy's men, and the rest will escape. We have to take our chance. Dickon Barleycorn swallowed hard. He was about to take on a mission which had his chances of survival at barely more than those of a mouse in a cattery. But it was his duty. With a tremble in his voice, he answered, I am your man, Will Scarlet. Silently, the two men stole away from the caves. On their way, Will Scarlet encountered Arthur, he told him to be ready to make an escape as soon as the opportunity presented itself. When Will and Dickon reached Stone Valley, less than half a mile away, they made a huge noise, banging and shouting as if there were a dozen of them. Then they loosed all of the arrows which they had in double-quick time. It looked to Sir Guy and his foot soldiers as if all of the merry men were there, hidden behind the boulders. Guy ordered his men to charge the hiding place of the outlaws. Robin Hood was astonished. It was only when Arthur O'Bland pointed out they now had chance to escape what seemed certain death he spurred the men into action. He gave the order and the merry men scarpered for their lives. They still had most of the loot and they were all safe. Robin smiled inwardly. It hadn't gone exactly as he had planned but they had most of the cash and they were all together. Once they were deep in Sherwood and knew they weren't going to be followed Robin pulled up and gathered the men for one of his famous speeches. Mr Little, Mr Scarlet and all of you merry men, he began. At this point, John and Will would usually have joined him as he told everyone how well they'd done. John bounded up as usual, but Will was noticeable by his absence. Robin realised that Dickon Barleycorn wasn't present either. He blew on his bugle. Then he shouted, Will! Will Scarlet, where are you, Will? Robin urged his men to think of where they had last seen his most loyal supporter. None of them could recall, except Arthur O'Bland, who told Robin that Will had warned him to be ready for an opportunity to escape. 
And then it dawned on Robin. The hail of arrows at Stone Valley. The sudden appearance of a way out. Suddenly it was clear. Will Scarlet had sacrificed himself so the others could flee. Robin Hood realised his own folly. He had taken a step too far and now his best friend and another of his most loyal followers were lost. He urged his men to go back to the scene of the battle. None disagreed. With all haste they made their way to the scene, but they could find nothing. All trace of Will Scarlet and Dickon Barleycorn was gone. Robin Hood shouted out, Will Scarlet, where are you? Dickon Barleycorn, what's happened? The men fell silent so they could listen for an answer. As they did so, a low moan came from behind a pile of rocks a few metres away from the entrance to Stone Valley. Robin bounded over, torch in hand. He shone the light so it illuminated the space behind the boulders. It revealed a human form, a very, very damaged human form. A great vicious wound laid open Dickon Barleycorn's side. Robin felt for a pulse, but it was very weak. He called over Peter the Quack. As the doctor ran over, Dickon's eyes opened. Will Scarlet, he rasped. They've taken him to the castle. I'm sorry, Robin, I'm a coward. I let them take him. Robin looked deep into his followers' eyes. He could begin to see them lose their focus. Before it was too late, he replied, Before God, Dickon Barleycorn, you are the bravest man I know. A smile traced the lips of the fallen hero. The expression remained as his last breath left his lungs. Without fuss, as befitting a brave man, Dickon Barleycorn died. God rest his soul, whispered Little John. If ever a man died a noble death, it was he. Look at him. There are a dozen mortal wounds. He sold his life very dearly and he paid for our freedom. Mournfully, the party made their way back to Robber's Valley. Robin Hood cried all the way. Not even Little John's entreaties could bring him back. Bob, don't mourn him. He gave his life to protect his friends in battle. His last thought was of us. He died as he would have wanted to. But Bob mourned. Robin Hood mourned like never before. The death had been his fault. He had gone beyond the bounds of what he stood for. He had asked his men to take on a terribly perilous task. But for what? Only to glorify him and his band of outlaws. And now Dickon Barleycorn was dead. As Friar Tuck laid the expired outlaw to rest, Robin Hood vowed he would achieve one more thing or he would die trying. He would free Will Scarlet. As soon as the funeral was over, he gathered his men around him. Arthur Bland, much the miller's son, Little John and Friar Tuck debated long into the night. Nobody had ever escaped from the justice of Castle Gisborne. If Will was to return to Robber's Glade, they had to pull off the impossible. It was Much who came up with the plan. He was not as well known as the other outlaws, and he was the one the merry men used to scout out the territory. He'd visited Castle Gisborne a few times in the previous months, pretending to be a tinker but actually gathering intelligence. It was only because of their double agent that Robin and his men had been able to plan the attack on the mule train in the first place. Much was a fine-looking young man, and while infiltrating Castle Gisborne, he'd struck up more than a passing friendship for a very pretty kitchen maid called Kate. He was dispatched to the castle immediately and returned with terrible news. Will Scarlet was due to hang the following day. But it was not all bad news. Kate had told the miller's son that the imprisoned outlaw was guarded by five men, day and night. It was Kate, though, who served the prisoner his meals. Much was dispatched immediately to talk to his girlfriend. Kate, said Much ardently, I need your help. You serve the prisoner the great Mr Will Scarlet every day. 
I need you to give me your clothes so that I can take your place. I can give the signal and Robin Hood and his men will rescue him. Well, I would do anything for you, answered the good kitchen maid, and took off her clothes. What happened immediately after this isn't recorded, but a few hours later, much the miller's son arrived back in Sherwood with the maid's clothes, looking somewhat pleased with himself. Later that night, a kitchen maid could be seen slinking, yes, definitely slinking, not just walking, towards the kitchens at Castle Gisborne. The kitchen maid, surely not as buxom as usual, grabbed the prisoner's food from the table and made to take it to the dungeons. He, or she, avoided a couple of requests from minor noblemen to bring ale and made his, or her, way down to the cells. When he got there he was trembling. His nerves were shot. The guards seemed not to notice his lack of womanly curves and let him into the cell. In fact, they ignored him completely. Ha! said one. That's the last food the outlawed dog will eat. Yep, replied another. He dies at dawn, fitting punishment for an outlaw, especially a leader like him. I only wish John Little and the devilish Robin Hood were here to hang with him. Much made his way over to Scarlet. The prisoner was used to Kate bringing his meals and barely looked up. Much had to discreetly shake him to get him to stir. It is I, Much. Now be quiet and listen. Will Scarlet, being Will Scarlet, nearly laughed. Listen, said Much. As I leave this cell and climb the stairs, I will stumble. You must lurk behind me in the entrance. I will drop the platter and this will distract the guards. As soon as I do so, we will storm them. Much handed Will two daggers. He smiled at Will and the captive smiled back. Both tried to transmit more confidence than they actually felt. Much climbed the steps. As he approached the top, he realised that only four of the soldiers due to guard the entrance to the cell were present. The other had probably slipped off for a slice of pie. When he reached the step three from the top, Much executed an exaggerated fall and dropped the platter. The noise was deafening. The earthenware pots shattered. One of the soldiers instinctively bent down to save the shards. As he did so, Much summoned up every iota of courage and drew his dagger. He stabbed the guard in the heart. The jailer collapsed, dead on the stone floor. Much expected the other three guards to pounce on him immediately, but was surprised to see there was no attack. The explanation was rendered by a smiling man dressed in extremely fetching red who climbed the stair, clutching a pair of very bloody daggers. Three men lay dead. Will had killed all of them. As Much and Will reached the top of the stairs and daylight, the fifth guard appeared, pasty in one hand and a jug of ale in the other. He was lucky. He was the only one of the guards not to die. Will simply grabbed the jug of ale from the astonished man's hand and rammed it into his face. He collapsed to the ground and Will poured the remaining ale over him. He didn't stir. Outside the castle, Robin Hood waited. He'd agreed to the plan, but now it seemed like total folly. There was no way much the miller's son and his stupid scheme to dress up as Kate was going to work. As his despair deepened, though, he heard a commotion coming from the castle gates. The next moment, the gates of Castle Gisborne were flung open and a man dressed in scarlet and another in a fetching maid's outfit erupted from the opening. Very close to them were about 25 men-at-arms. Will was desperately fending them off as he ran. He'd killed a couple, but he clearly wasn't going to be able to outrun the rest. Robin gave the order. Twenty men clad in Lincoln green drew their swords and took on the men-at-arms. Full-scale battle was soon underway. Guy of Gisborne emerged from the castle. Robin of Loxley, he sneered. Have you come here to die? 
Robin Hood had no time for playing with words this time. He simply swung his sword and knocked Sir Guy of Gisborne unconscious to the ground. Will Scarlet fainted as he reached his comrades. Little John and Arthur O'Bland lifted him up and tied him to one of the spare horses. The merry men were clearly getting the upper hand. Robin motioned for them to flee. Before he finally galloped away, he turned to face the castle and the men. Long live King Richard! Death to Prince John and his treacherous minion, Sir Guy of Gisborne! And then he was gone. Soon all of them were safe back in Robber's Glade. Well, all of them apart from Dickon Barleycorn, that was. Robin knew her line had been crossed. He'd tried something risky and one of his men had died as a result. OK, he couldn't have expected that Harry Roundfellow would betray them, but this was never going to happen again. At least Will Scarlet was safe. All would be well while his best friend was at his side, and Will would never leave his side. And so he wouldn't, at least not willingly. But one day, Will's will would not be enough. Next time, things return to normal a bit. If you enjoy the podcast, then please go to the website www.mythandhistory2.podbean.com If you want to give me some feedback, then please contact me via email mythandhistory at gmail.com or find me on Facebook, Paul Vincent Myth and History. So, have a great couple of weeks and I'll speak to you next time.